community, welcome to the Philo Podcast. If you're new with us, so glad you joined us. If you are old with us, I'm glad you joined us too. Our goal here at Philo is to help you become more effective so that your church can become more effective. And we do that through this podcast, through our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, through the Philo cohorts and the Philo conference. And speaking of the Philo conference, we're in high gear over here, pulling it all together. Uh, We've been having tons of meetings, talking about breakouts and online streaming and main sessions and parody songs, you know, all the good stuff. And I'm super excited around this time of the year. You know, we're not just talking about ideas. We're actually starting to execute on a bunch of them. And if you're new to the Philo Conference, as we're assembling all the pieces and parts together, we have three big ideas in mind, and that's skill development, community, and inspiration. And we want you to become better at some specific part of your job you know, to learn from others who are doing it in real life. But we also know there's something amazing that happens when like-minded people come together in one place, and we want to try to maximize those moments. And at Philo, you're with your people. And then we really want to inspire you to keep going, that what you do matters. And if the Philo Conference is something that you've come to year after year, you know, we try to bring new and fresh ideas to these same ideas, you know, skill development, community, and inspiration. And we're not trying to blow stuff up that's bigger and better than the year before. You know what it can be like in production, you know, bigger is better, right? But no, not necessarily. And so our hope is that we create an experience that is at the same level each year, but reimagined and improved year upon year. And oftentimes I think we start defining excellence as bigger and better, but really around here, we try to define it as simply better than yesterday. And so for me, that means we're tweaking things that we didn't crush last year. We're eliminating those things that didn't work. And we're always improving one step at a time. And I'm excited for the new things we're going to try this year. And don't forget, since you're a podcast listener, you get 10% off by using the code PODCAST10, all caps and the number 10, while buying your tickets. And that applies to single tickets, group tickets, in-person tickets, online tickets, all the tickets. So don't forget, you can get 10% off just by using that code. And looking at the conference that's coming up, we'll be having conversations with our main session speakers here on the podcast as a chance for you to get to know them and hopefully to help us think differently about how we do production at our local church. And so on today's podcast, we have Ashley Island. She's the co-lead pastor at Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids. And for those of you wondering, no, not that Mars Hill, but a different one. She's the wife of Philo's very own worship leader and parody songwriter, Delwyn Island. And we had a great conversation with some great insights into what we do as production people. So let's just listen in. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. And hey, Philo community, it's good to be with you today. Yeah, so you probably recognize the last name if you're part of the Philo community because Delwyn Island is Ashley's husband. That's right. It's true. (laughs) No lies detected. (laughs) Yeah. How do you put up with them? That was one of my questions. What's it like living with Delwyn? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Ooh. It it is a joy because being married to a musician is both really fun Mm. and I have to catch myself and remind myself how lucky I am because Uh he is a constant creative, meaning he is creating all the time. Uh Uh-huh. It's not just when he's writing. Sometimes it's lyrics. Sometimes he's tinkering on the piano or playing with the guitar. And I have to remind myself while I'm reading or trying to do something (laughs) on my own that I really appreciate his creative gift and what he brings to our family. So it's really fun being married to Delwyn. Yeah, nice. I love (laughs) Delwyn. Delwyn, yeah, as you know, like super influential in the life of my son, Carson, which that's just one of my favorite things ever. And the... Even just the, I can remember the day I went up to Delwyn and asked him, will you be a part of Philo? I was just so overwhelmed by, he's, there's something, Delwyn has something. And I think that was even maybe before he and Carson, maybe they were working together a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I just love your husband. I have to say, no one asks him to say this. Mm -hmm. I remember maybe it was a couple years ago, Todd, that he told me very clearly, I might do a lot of things when it comes to my profession and using my skill set to serve either the church or the larger community, he said, I just need you to know right now, I will always do Philo. <laughs> there will, there will, as long as Todd asks me back, yeah. I will. <laughs> that little asterisk. Yeah, yeah. 
He said, I will always do Philo. And it's because he loves the community that you all Mm. have created. It is special to him. It fuels him. And so thank you from the bottom (laughs) of my heart for investing in him and giving him that joy to be a part of it. It's good to hear. I need to have him on the podcast. That would be a good reason to, uh, I, again, I should say, have him on yes. the podcast again, just so we can hang out for a little bit. That's yeah, right. I miss that guy. Out of there. <laughs> oh, okay. So enough about Delwyn. And I guess maybe one of the things that on the podcast we kind of start with is how we met. And I'm guessing we were on staff at Willow Creek uh, together at the same right. time, but probably through Delwyn I, when we got to know each other, at least. Just That's uh, right. Yeah. That's right. And I think maybe I was attending Willow before I was on staff. And I think you were on staff at that time. So we were in the same space. But I started attending Willow in 2009, maybe early 2010. Sure. And But more formally through Delwyn, when you all started working together. And for a short period of time, I was a student impact high school youth pastor And so whether it was Carson directly or through (laughs) some of Carson's friends or leaders, we had that indirect connection as well. Right, right, right. So it's been, I just always known you, Todd, as someone who's, who brings excellence to what they do. And I've always appreciated that about you and, and the spirit and the humility and um, the goodness, the, the spiritual fruit of goodness that you bring along with your work. So that's been evident for a long time. Oh, thanks for saying. Yeah. 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 I don't know how to respond to that. I don't know how to receive a compliment. So. It's okay. It's okay. Neither do I. Yeah. Just, let, just let the silence fade. Yeah. yeah. Just maybe nod and yeah. Oh, that's good. Some of you who are listening to this are wondering, what are we talking about? What's uh, What are we getting to? And Ashley is a guest on our podcast because she's going to be a main session speaker at the Philo Conference in 2022. I'm so excited. I'm so excited for a few different reasons, but I just know how generative and exciting the sessions can be, how meaningful Mm. they are, not just from someone sitting in that seat to receiving the content, but from the presenters and the speakers themselves. I just consistently heard how wonderful of an experience it is to be a part of the Philo crew mm. for those couple of days. Yeah. And so the fact that I get to spend that time with you all, I'm just thrilled and I couldn't be more excited. I'm waiting for May already. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready for the the warm weather to return yeah, for sure. Same. Among other things. Yeah. But yeah, I'm really excited to have you part of the the Philo crew this time. You and your husband both get to be there together and it's going to be really great. And so you've talked a little bit already about your story, your past, you know, some of the things you've done, but why don't you tell everybody what it is you do now and then how you got to this point, what led up to what you're doing now? Oh, I love this story, not because it's my story, but because mm. of how it points to God's faithfulness <laughs> in, in all the ways. Uh-huh. So currently, I am co-lead pastor of Mars Hill Bible Church in Michigan, mm. and my co-lead pastor, Troy Hatfield, was a former worship pastor and associate pastor. And so we're both coming to this role really fresh, really new with different perspectives. We've been in this role since summer of 2021. So this is really new for us, but I started out, graduated college in human resources. I worked for the Wonka factory of all places, (laughs) real place. (laughs) Where is it? (laughs) It wasn't Itasca, Illinois. I don't think... (laughs) That's hard for me to believe. Seriously. So I started oh, I started work right out of college in Los Angeles at the Nestle USA headquarters and okay. they transferred me to Itasca, Illinois to support the Wonka facility. So okay. we made all the sprees, sweet tarts, runs, nerds, all the hard sugary candies and I okay. smelled like all sugar right. all the time. Okay. <laughs> and then at that point when I moved is when I joined Willow Creek as part of the community. And I joined Axis, which was the 20-somethings young adults crew. Right, right. And in volunteering for the high school ministry, just as someone who was a part of the larger church community saying, I want to get involved, I volunteered for this high school camp. Mm-hmm. And at this camp, the speaker named Josh Reebok was telling the story of Jesus's first miracle in John 2. And he, there's a part of that chapter where Mary turns to the servants, if you all remember this, where she says, 
do whatever he being Jesus, do whatever he tells you. Hmm. And at that point, it was like, I, I just remember this invitation undeniable from the Holy Spirit that said, would you build the kind of community? Would you be a part of trusting me and stepping forward and building a community mm. that is redemptive and good? And I just said, yes, I don't know what that, I'd never known what it meant to work for a church, but to shorten this a bit, I ended up saying, okay, I'm going to quit my job in corporate America and work for the church. And I remember telling my parents that, and oh. that went way better than I thought okay, it would. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess we're getting a green light here. And so I quit my job, decided to stay full-time in Chicagoland, and there was an opening as an ops director okay. for the Young Adults Ministry for 20-something. So I began doing volunteer work, setting up for events, planning some of our major events, okay, really managing our budget. So it was a purely operational role with some people involvement. So I worked closely with our producer at the time and mm -hmm. a lot of behind the scenes work. So I know a little bit about what that feels like starting out. And then from there, we progressed to being invited to be a youth pastor for the high school ministry where this all started. Okay. I had never been a youth pastor, Todd. Okay. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just kept saying yes, because the invitation, remember, was to do whatever he tells you. Like, sure, okay, right. Jesus, here we go. So I'm walking forward, did that for four years. Oh, there were wow. some transitions within the ministry. And so the next step was going over to weekends, okay. main stage weekends. Mm -hmm. And they said, would you help being a part of telling stories? Mm -hmm. So I had a couple of different roles there where I was telling stories, being a content producer. Then I was a creative director, actually getting to be behind okay. the camera and do some film editing. And then after that, there was a lot that changed within Willow. Right. And a few of us know that would happen there. <laughs> but there were some key shifts in leadership to where I was invited to lead our midweek service. So this was okay. the main Wednesday night. A few hundred people gathered for right. a service there where Dylan and I got to lead together. And this, Todd, was really like my first step into a larger context of leadership, mm -hmm. um, where it was an entire ministry, more pastoral in nature. But again, this was all a response to an invitation. None of this was ever, oh, th there's an opening there. I think I'll apply for it. This was, there was an opportunity and an ask and a yes. So that's where we ended up when we got a call from Mars Hill uh, Bible Church to consider moving there to, to launch this new location. And when I moved to Michigan, it was really to primarily launch the new location of Mars Hill Grand Rapids and right. to preach and to help with our formation school. Okay. Well, then more changes happened. We had a, <laughs> another leadership transition. And at that point, our elders asked if myself and Troy and our ops director would form this three-person interim team to help lead the whole church okay. in this interim, air quotes, period. Sure, yeah, yeah. But what we learned over time was this is actually a collaborative model that works. And okay. so the elders then asked Troy and myself to consider co-leadership. And again, the refrain of this song, do whatever he tells you. Yeah. Jesus, you have equipped me in times where I felt the least likely to step into this place. And I trust that you will do nothing but what you have done mm. in the past. So yes. And Todd, here we are. I had, listen, I did not see this coming. Mm. And yet I trust that God saw it coming. And within that context comes my confidence that, okay, God, you're up to something, you're not done. And how do we lean in and figure out what happens next? So yeah, to, be wow. to be continued. Yeah. So I have questions <laughs> yes. now about this story. So just the idea of accepting Christ's invitation and saying yes, like, I think it's so easy just as a Christ follower to not be paying attention and to not be living in that moment of, oh God, what are you asking me to do right now? So I'm curious for, for you, was it talking back about that first camp experience, kind of remembering that moment? Are all the moments like that? Or are they, you know, how are you discerning? What is it God is asking you to say yes to? I think it's one thing to be willing to say yes, which I think a lot of us probably struggle with even getting to that place. If God's calling me, will I say yes? But then determining what to say yes to. That's, that's such a good question. 
to answer the first part, no, not every experience has felt like that first camp experience where it was like, this was a clarifying, like really compelling, like cue the background music, <laughs> like the epic moment. Like yeah. they had not all felt that way. But what uh-huh. I will say was pay attention to the in-between mm-hmm. because in-between you have regular life, you have regular encounters with regular people like yourself and if you're if you are paying attention and this is the power of presence even yeah. if we're behind the scenes whether we're on a platform or behind the scenes the power of presence is that we are paying attention mm. and when we pay attention to what god is doing it all creates a story this is not our history of our our life as the people of god isn't an accident it, it is a narrative arc that is creating a story mm-hmm. And the story that was being told for me was, oh, you've been given time and time again, Ashley, these opportunities that look like one thing to you, mm-hmm. but it actually requires you to step forward, to move forward in order to see the next part of the story unfold. Hmm. So part of my discernment was, does this feel comfortable to me? Okay. If it feels comfortable Hmm. almost too comfortable, like something I would have made up on my own. Oh, actually this benefits me completely. And I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. I can be completely still and be satisfied. Sure. That actually was like, oh goodness, if I'm comfortable, I don't know that's all me because the life of faith and can look all throughout scripture, things, things and situations were turned on their head in a really beautiful way. And so All of these little mini disruptions, whenever it felt like it was potentially disruptive, I paid attention because that usually meant there was more for my formation that needed needed some work. And so that was one piece of discernment, like how disruptive or comfortable is this? Another is, okay, based on who's in my life at the time, does this feel like an invitation for all of us? Okay. So especially later on after Dylan and I got married, like the move here to Michigan, it's like, God, you wouldn't just extend this invitation to me and leave my family out to right. dry. Right, right, And so to consider not just the future projection of that opportunity, but to say, does this feel like it's for everyone that God has entrusted in my immediate circle, especially one's family? Yeah. Part of our story as a family is we brought home our youngest daughter through adoption. That same that same consideration, I would run through these first two filters as well. Sure. Is that going to be disruptive? Yeah, because adding a kid to your life <laughs> is disruptive, <laughs> to state the obvious. And then the second was, is this an invitation for our whole family? And I thought, right. yeah, this feels like a part of our family story yeah. to say yes to this, not just mine as a mom. So maybe one more filter, and we're not going to get to all of them, but one of the things to consider for me was, does this align with who God's made me to be and what's true about that? Sure, right. Because if it's in direct opposition or will produce some sort of lie against who I know God's made me to be, then that's not it. Yeah. So if it's calling me into more confidence of the gifts and and the spiritual gifts and the skills that God's given me, so I'm like, okay, I'm paying attention to that. Yeah. If it's calling me to question or to minimize or to become more insecure in that space, oh gosh, I don't know if that's in alignment with truth. Right. So there's something about who God is reflected through your own life yeah. to say, does this elevate and illuminate and glorify God in that way? Or will this cause me to shrink? Will this cause me to think any differently or to have more questions about that? And I, you could do something similar, not just with your own identity, but with calling, there will be hard times for any one of us when we step into, whether it's a new job, a new season in a new place or a new space that we're living in a new city, into new, a new season of life like retirement or grandparenthood right. or parenthood on its own. Um, but to think about, do I feel equipped? Do I feel like I trust God to equip me when it gets hard? And do I know right. why I would be saying yes to that? Yeah. So many production people that I know, myself included, your job is to minimize the the unknowns and nail them down and execute something to a script. And I don't know that comfort's the word I would use, but you spend a lot of time trying to order your world so that what the outcome will be, which on some level feels like in direct opposition to how we should be living as a Christ follower, to be present 
I'm just thinking about like the, I was even talking to somebody yesterday about their, they were talking about programming a new audio console that they just got and they're so excited. And he was just saying to program it so you don't have to necessarily be present. So you're just hitting the button and maybe a bad analogy, but it's like we're, we spent all this pre-work to get here it is. And That's then right. life isn't always that way. <laughs> it's not. And I actually think, think about some of the most disruptive points in scripture um, in, in storm in the journey along the way to somewhere else yeah, when there's yeah. an interruption and that's where you see miracles happen. So it's yeah. not that there's no point or in trying to program for those moments to go with your analogy. It's not that those are useless or even bad, but it's, God, what else is there? What right. might I be missing? Or if, even the moments that are happening in as you're programming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Right. To say, what is this here? I remember during quarantine, I read a really beautiful book by Father Ron Rollheiser called Domestic Monastery. Okay. And he talked about the home being a place of worship. Okay. To say, if you are parenting children, for example, if you have mm-hmm. other people in your midst, see those interruptions as invitations. Don't yeah. see them as, okay, I've got to get to somewhere else. No, actually, what would it look like to reframe that interruption from that small child or maybe an adult human being in your context? <laughs> <laughs> <Is> it, <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to see that person as an opportunity to say, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing right before me while I'm trying to get to that thing, while I'm trying to get to that perfect program for the lighting board or for sound, the audio, whatever it is, get the mic, test the mic just right. What are you inviting me to right now? Right. And how can this actually elevate the experience of what we're trying to do together? So it's interesting to hold both. And for a lot of type A folks, this is a hard one, but to understand that there's purpose in that might provide some freedom in the journey. Speak to someone like yourself, where you're on the platform, you're giving messages from a distance. There's so much that can tend to feel like a foregone conclusion. Oh yeah, of course, Ashley's the co-pastor at Mars Hill in Grand Rapids. Just, it makes perfect sense. But that it's really a series of you saying yes and taking risks and taking a step that maybe you could see that next step, but not the one after that. And that trust needs to be involved. Yeah, that's a life that we're all called to to live, not just other people or people that are up on stage or, yeah, the people in the booth supposed to be living like, God, what do you want me to do? What's the step you want me to take right now? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, I have to remind people when some of my high schoolers used to ask me, actually, how do I become a pastor? I think what they were really (laughs) asking was how do I do cool stuff on a stage? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I remember saying, maybe this was the wrong thing to say, I will admit, (laughs) but I said to a group of very young, impressionable teenagers, if you could do anything else, do that. Because what I was trying to, to prevent was this idea that what you see is all that there is to it. Those moments where we are seen or heard or the lights go on, like those moments have all been products of unseen ones. Yeah, yeah. And so if we continue to chase after the spotlit ones or when mm-hmm. someone sees me on stage doing a sermon for 20 minutes or 45, then let's be honest, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the most <laughs> long-winded preacher as you could already tell by this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a verbal processor. So if the moments that we're after are the visible ones, mm-hmm. We will forget that how we get there was in the unseen ones. And so I, I think there's this, this appreciation for it. And it, it takes the pressure off the people who are seen a lot. And it gives encouragement, hopefully, and purpose mm-hmm. and increased presence for those who are behind the scenes to say, all of this matters. None yeah. of this is a waste. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I just even think about my own life and very different from yours, but those moments of like, okay, God is showing up right now and I need to do something about it. And yeah. I just, even thinking about where I, what I'm doing right now, where I am, like none of this would be, yeah, I wouldn't be doing any of this without have, having taken those steps along the way that I'm just terrified to think of all the ones I've missed, let go by because I wasn't paying attention. But the ones that were right in front of me that somehow God got my attention and I decided to, okay, let's see what happens. I love and, that. Yeah, God showed up again. So, huh. so good. Yeah, just good to be reminded that God is faithful and wants good things for us. And yeah. Yeah, it's it's the end of my favorite part of the end of Psalm 23. Something you just said reminded me. The psalmist says, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me Mm. all the days of my life. 
So we are being pursued by goodness and the mercy when we miss some of those moments, the pursuit doesn't stop. And so I think that gives so much, at least for me, comfort and peace and saying, yeah, I will miss moments because I am not steadfast. (laughs) (laughs) I am not faithful, really. Like the only one who's truly faithful and consistently faithful is God. Mm -hmm. But to know that I am being pursued in my life every single day by goodness and by mercy, like how cool is that to to think of it? So something that what you said there, Todd, was an encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a pastor now. You used to be a youth pastor. You've done kind of all different types of things in the church. Is there anything that you like look back five years and say that thing that really mattered to me didn't matter as much as I thought it did? Or Mm -hmm. now that you're having to pay attention to a lot more things that like as a younger person or like in ministry, several layers down from the top, I wish I knew this or wish I'd done this instead? Yeah, I I wish I had, it had clicked for me just how important my contribution was. Mm. I think I spent a lot of time questioning whether what I was doing mattered. Mm. I spent a lot of time questioning that and it produced a, a little bit of insecurity for a time, but more so the, what is this all for? And it's really the image of the body of Christ that I come back to now mm. to understand that some of the most most impactful parts of the body that Paul calls out in scripture are the smallest ones, yeah. the most unseen ones. And so I wish I had someone almost daily take my face between their hands <laughs> and say, what you are doing matters. And here's the trick. You may not know it. You may not see the impact. No one may right. ever tell you how mm-hmm. impactful it, it is, but in order for us to be a fully functioning body, one part cannot say to the other, you do not matter. Right. Because, for example, in, in places of pain, another part of the body shows up to help right, heal. Right. But we, the disadvantage, I think, and what we forget, especially within community, is that we can't and I'm thinking of just a like our tech setup here at church. We've got people in our live stream room that can't see what our lighting or our audio volunteers are doing yeah. always because they're in a completely separate room. Yeah. So their part of the body is literally unseen in the context of one of our gatherings. But when they trust that what I do absolutely matters to this person's flourishing, mm-hmm. Even if I can't see, then that become that gives me fuel to do that with more joy and less yeah. hesitation and more confidence. So I wish I'd known that. And I was in my early 20s when I started working within the church. So there's a lot of that stage of life stuff mixed in right, there too. Right. Well, and I think too at Willow, it's such a gigantic machine. That's right. Or, or was, maybe still is, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it still is uh, pretty big. <laughs> yes, the building is still yeah, big. <laughs> yeah, so it's really easy to get lost in that kind of, is my contribution really, does it matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. To, good reminder. As a pastor, as somebody that's delivering messages, as somebody leading a staff and a congregation, as a tech person, I'm really curious about, I think it's very easy for us to just worry about our area and the thing that isn't right in front of us and that I'm responsible for, like I have to deliver on these things. And I, on some level, Ashley, just worry about yourself. You get your thing done. I'll get my thing done and we'll get this, the thing will get done. Instead of, yeah, just thinking about what could I be doing to help uh, the you better as the pastor? Like what could I be doing that's actually helping move things forward instead of just worrying about my own little area? I love that you've asked this question, Todd. (laughs) This might come as a surprise, but I would say lean into more collaboration and less deference. Mm. A lot of the tech artists and leaders that I have worked with are really so talented And they trust me. So this is a good thing because they trust me to do my thing, get my thing done, get Mm -hmm. them what they need. But there was a situation recently where I said to one of our tech leaders, hey, what do you need from me? Like in this one area, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And it was almost impossible. At one point, it was almost comical because it felt like I was asking the question like seven different ways. Okay. (laughs) And this person almost refused to communicate their needs. <laughs> it because they were so tra- and it was because 
they are a person who is hospitable. Mm. They just, whatever you need, Ashley, whatever you, we got, we'll, we'll fix it. That annoying thing that you do all the time. We got you. <laughs> yeah. we, we know that you do the, you know, but I said, no, actually it would really be helpful to me if I mm. understood how to better honor you with some of my habits and some of how I show up. Mm. It would be helpful to me if you would tell me exactly the deadline where it would be honoring to your team to do X, Y, and Z. <laughs> it would be honoring to me for you to tell me how it makes you feel when X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Now, again, this is in the context of relation. I, I work with this person frequently, so that's we see each other a lot. So that adds a, a layer to it. But I wish that tech mm. artists and leaders would see themselves as not just people who produce, but people who have something to add of themselves in relationship. Mm. Giving deference is beautiful. They say, yeah. like, whatever you need, whatever you want, like, we'll do it. But I actually think there's more power in the collaboration. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if, because I'm like, I totally get the idea of being deferring to somebody else. What do you need? And I'm here to execute those things. Yeah, just, I don't know if it's just the personality of a tech person or just we're all programmed that way. And I feel like just hearing you say these words, showing deference is a very healthy short-term solution. That's right. Yes. But is probably more destructive long-term if you're in the same working relationship with the same people, like I can imagine that it would be, it could become detrimental yes. for you to be deferred to all the time. And here's why. Because what that might produce is harbored bitterness. Because hmm. if we can't communicate clearly what we need or how a certain, again, habit or... Yeah, if there's something about our working together that doesn't work for you, over time yeah. that will impact what we do together. It won't impact just one of us. Right. It'll impact the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I yeah. would imagine like on the yeah on the tech person side, just like the grind of deference over time re results in some bitterness potentially. And even on your side, some I would imagine some not callousness, but maybe just being unaware of the fact that your request caused a domino effect that no one will tell you about. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I do realize there are people who don't care about that process. There's some people that tech artists might serve that don't, maybe don't care at all. But when we talk about culture mm -hmm. and our collective impact over the long haul, those sorts of conversations, even if someone doesn't ask, maybe yeah. even offering, hey, this might be illuminating and helpful for us. Would it be helpful for us to walk through that domino effect of the process? Yeah, right. So you understand that when you do this, that means this person has to do this. This person needs to tweak this. It causes this whole world un unseen. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, act, that only a few people shoulder. Yeah. I, I would assume most people who are showing up as servant leaders would want to know that. Yeah. Because... I, my assumption is most people don't just care about what you do, but care about you. Yeah. I hope that's true. Yeah, you'd hope it's so, true. I hope it's true. So in that case, I, w I just wonder what untapped potential or what part of our collective effectiveness we're missing out on because yeah. we won't bring our full selves and we won't tell the truth. Yeah. So this happened to me a few times where there were dominoes that were going to fall because of a, an, a request that came in. And for me to say, okay, I'm going to just... I got to figure out what all these dominoes are and then I'm going to spell it out and see and just ask the leader, is you still want to do this knowing all this information? And it's interesting because I think on one hand, I was completely ready to, especially because my knee-jerk reaction is deference. Like I'm ready to yes. do it. Yeah. But I think this would be better served to just say, okay, are you sure you want to do it? So I was ready to do it. Yes. We will do this. If this is what you think is the, the right exact thing, we'll do it. I just want you to know what it means. That's and right. I would say the, the examples that are popping into my head right now, the person would say, no, that, let's not do that. It's just, yeah. that's crazy. Yes, because um, they're also no calculating the impact. Because right. it's, it, and especially if you're the leader of a team, mm -hmm. this is where that dynamic comes into play. It's not just the work 
that's impacted or the hours clocked. Yeah. It's also team dynamics yeah. that ultimately come back to your front door to say, were you a good steward, not just of the task, but of the people's time right. as the leader or as someone who is responsible for a collective people's group of work? So there's so many different, like deference is, again, good in the short term. Right. But long term, it starts to tell a story. It yeah. tells a story about your own sense of courage. It tells the people who are watching you what you're willing to die on certain hills for. And then that's, that starts creating other stories. So I, I think to bring to light a process that would be helpful for everyone and then to evaluate, okay, are, are we really saying they're w- willing to sacrifice X, Y, and Z to do this one thing? Yeah. Okay. So maybe there's a vision conversation that needs to happen. For sure. I think too, um, but, as a tech, as a leader of a tech team, it's like if you're shouldering the weight of, we're just going to do this thing regardless of the dominoes falling. We're going to be, we're going to show deference. We're just going to do this thing. And over time, even your team becomes embittered right. to be doing all this work that maybe seems ridiculous or not well thought through or whatever. And the their leader is not giving the the senior leader the opportunity to say, I don't want that culture. That's right. Or I do want that culture. Either one. I think, I just think of all the times for me that I shouldered responsibility that wasn't mine. That's right. To shoulder instead saying, hey, this is what you're, what you're asking means these things. That's right. Is that, 100%. are we still doing it? Yeah. And it, I, it is I, illuminating. It's yeah. illuminating because if you get it out there, you know what you're, dealing with, you know what someone's willing to say yes or no to. And that that gives you a chance to define the culture you want to be a part of yeah, or to create. And those become big questions. Yeah. If your guy came up to you and said, hey, I've, I've got questions about this thing. Does that, is that, a, that, does that feel normal to you and is a function of relationship or you're just a super extraordinary person and just know that's how you should respond? <laughs> <laughs> no, I expect our tech leader comes up to me often and asks Mm. questions Uh and is a part of most of the meetings I'm in that have to do with Sundays. And so it it feels really natural for Mm. there to be a dialogue and a conversation. If I have an idea and it's just not possible because we don't have enough time, I expect him to say no. Yeah. And I've had more than one conversation, not just with this person, but other folks on our team about, hey, You have the power to say no. And at some point, if you don't say no, that's no longer on the rest of us. It's (laughs) you, it is in your, it is in your court to say no. Yeah. And if what you're scared of is how people will respond or people will be mad at you, try us. (laughs) Yeah. See what happens, right? See see what happens. See if we don't respect and appreciate you more. Yeah. Yeah. For, for continuing to facilitate a culture that is healthy and good and proactive versus reactive. Just right. try us. And and would you trust your team to be fine if you quote unquote, let us down in your own perspective. So. Well, and I think too, if you don't, if you don't say no and it, the, all the stuff builds up over time, you're letting the team down. That's I mean, right. You're, you're going to let, you're, there's potential for letting people down anyway. So let's try yes. a new way. <laughs> yeah, that's See what right. Happens. And your team wants you to know that you're willing to go to bat for them for this, for the sake of their flourishing and their health too. Yeah. So if your yes means 40 more hours to build a set and that happens consistently, yeah. then what is that going to do over time? You might lose a team. Right. So yeah. I think to show your team that not only are you willing to manage expectations, but to go to bat for them as mm-hmm. someone who represents them to other leaders, yeah, actually builds trust and increases the the health and the flourishing of the culture that you're a part of. Yeah. And I love the kind of the, going back to the idea you said. If I come to to a leader and say, "Hey, this is these, this is what's going to happen if we do this." I'm recommending something different and you say, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, to use that opportunity for explain to me or give me some vision, help me understand why we're doing this thing. Yes. And then taking that back to your team and say, hey, I know this is tough and this is going to be, but this is why. Yes. Um, Instead of just do it and don't ask questions. Yeah. Exactly. Or if the vision becomes, hey, I now understand the desired outcome. Yeah. Is there a different way you can get to that outcome together? How do you invite creativity and brainstorming into that process to say, 
this is, I, I think I get what you're saying. Is, yeah. is this right? You know, yeah, that's, I actually have a, a way we could do this that could save us either some time or not involve so many people because that brings to light a different part of perhaps your skill set or your team's skill set right, right. yeah. for that to happen too. So there's so many possibilities, really yeah. good ones when you know boundaries mm-hmm. and are willing to, with the right spirit, obviously, have a, have a conversation or a dialogue around uh, p- potential alternatives. Yeah. 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 Oh, so good. It's one of the things about, this is probably true in every profession or every area of, of people that work in the church. There's so much about being a tech person that involves technology, yeah. but the really, the most important things have nothing to do with those. I mean, like how we're going to use it and these conversations, it's like, yeah, a new piece of gear is not going to solve these problems. And it, w- it will provide temporary satisfaction, like a spark right. of joy. But okay, how are we going to assemble that or install that new piece of gear? You're yeah. going to do it with a team. Yeah. And so to think through, it's not just the what, but the how and the who. Yeah. If we are thinking of this as a pie chart, the what, how, who, what is really exciting. You like to order, you got this budget and it's really exciting to order new stuff. But the how and the who is two thirds of your pie. Right, right. If you get the if you get those wrong, you're left a pretty skimpy pie. Right. Yeah. I need <laughs> more pie. Time. I like I pie. Don't know. Yeah. I like pie. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am diving uh, into food metaphors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. So anyway. Uh yeah. So there's a, a very small part of our audience that is female. So yeah. most of production and production in the local church is dominated by just dudes. A lot of dudes. Yeah. And, but there are some females that are crushing it at their church. And, and we've been doing some, what we call cohorts uh, with technical artists from all over the world. And we've had several that are all female. Yeah. And it's it's something I just love that there's a community of all female. They have a Slack channel on our group that they just, they're doing their thing and asking questions and just love that kind of the camaraderie that comes from the commonality uh, that they share. And so one of the things today when I was uh, getting ready for this podcast, I was thinking, Ashley is, she's living in a male-dominated kind of situation. There aren't too many lead pastors that are female in the, you know, United States evangelical church. And I just curious, maybe I have two questions. One is, how are you dealing with it? Or how, you know, what... Because then I think even for the females that are listening, just to give them some hope in their situation, but also then what could somebody like me who, like I'm the furthest from that demographic that you can get, I'm right. like middle-aged white guy yeah. uh, doing production for all the years. How could I include or, yeah, what could I do differently or how could I think differently? It's so good. Okay, so I'll, I'll tackle the first question. Like how do I deal with being a woman in a male dominated field. Yeah. One, I have to know why I'm doing this Mm -hmm. because there are more situations than I'd like to count letters that people write telling me that I'm evil comments on blogs that say I'm in sin and you should repent. Just, I could go on there almost weekly. There is something of that nature that might tempt me to say, I'm not worthy of this. Mm. But to go back to the moments, the people, the encouragement that got you where you are in the first place, the passion you felt the first time you were part of a really dynamic team. I said, I love creating moments that last in people's memories and hearts. Mm. I love what it feels like to watch all these little individual pieces come together to create this really beautiful display or production. Mm I think you have to have your why almost like tattooed on your heart. Yeah. Like it, it's got to be permanent somewhere. And so mine, I go back to John too. You've heard it already. Do whatever you, that's my why. I do it because I trust that the goodness on the other side of taking those steps forward is more worth it than any of the opposition I could receive. That's why. And do you feel like that, that you're, this is a self-motivation or are you looking to others to help you feel this way or? Yeah, there are snapshots that I can remember and mostly from 
middle-aged white men, Todd, that, <laughs> that, that I, remember, oh, I remember saying to me, I remember one person specifically said, Ashley, if you don't do this, if you don't preach or teach or lead, not only does this church lose, but the church at large loses. Mm. So almost, it was almost like get it together in the most <laughs> awesome way okay. because we can't lose you. Mm. So there are voices like that, that inform that approach. Sure. But I, the other thing is I absolutely cannot do this alone. So I think what might, you might be tempted to, if, if there are two opposite sides of the sliding scale where you're like, I can't do this. I'm really insecure. Why am I like, how do I put up with this all the way to like, I got it. Sure, Almost right. like this brash sense of independence. This needs to be an interdependent pursuit to say, I'm confident in who I am, the skills that I have. And I actually right. need these other people. Right, right. I need my brothers. Yeah. To show up in their fullness too. Yeah, yeah. Um, or else we all lose. Finding voices for me, maybe even if they weren't proximate or close, finding voices that can identify. I love that there's a Slack group. I th That's a perfect example of this. For me, it's being a part of a group of women. I was just in California with a group of women at a women in ministry retreat. And it was beautiful because I felt like I could breathe a little bit more easily. I didn't have to explain anything. Right, Everyone knew. Right. Yeah, Everyone right. knew what it was like. You walk into a room. And so we got, we were freed up to talk about other things. But to have periodic built-in times of that kind of refreshment mm. in community, yeah. even if those people don't live next to you, yeah. or even in your same city or state, yep. that has to fuel something in you to say you're not alone. And then the third, this is really basic. If there's any opposition or people telling you you can't do it or some really shady stuff going on or people being passive aggressive or overlooking you or talking over you, whatever, I would just say to the best of your ability, not to prove in a sense where you have to push your way into a fold. I don't believe mm -hmm. in, in pushing like that. But continue to, with consistency, show up in the skills you have, and people will see that you're indispensable. You don't have to prove it. Just keep showing up faithfully. It's, it is the gift of faithfulness. Faithfulness does the work that oftentimes our own propensity to prove for ourselves replaces. Mm. Faithfulness does that work. Don't feel like you have to, to fight to fisticuffs to, yeah. to prove anything. <laughs> I don't read comments anymore. I like I'll glance and if I'm like, okay, I know where this is going. Yeah. What a dumpster fire. Okay. Then I just turn it <laughs> I just turn it off. Yeah. Because are those the people God's called me to a specific community for a specific time? Mm -hmm. The people that I have been called to have said yes to my leadership. Sure, yeah, yeah. That is a gift. So it's not that those other people don't matter. They right. matter to God. And there is a redemptive story being hopefully um, walked out for them too. But that's not who I was called to. So why would I allow that to give more weight? Sure. Um, so that's how I deal with it. Knowing my own calling, mm -hmm. doing it in community, and then letting the work of faithfulness guide the way and, and choosing to set boundaries about what I choose and who I choose to engage. Those yeah, are the yeah. four things. And in terms of the second part of your question, what was the second part of your question. Yeah, the second part was just so as somebody who is leading production teams and oh, is yeah. a, a middle-aged white dude, yeah, uh, yeah, how could I be more inclusive or yes. be more thoughtful or, or maybe yeah. I just be those things? Yeah, I... <laughs> Yeah. I, I do think, so depending on where each team is, as someone who's trying to encourage women in their gifts in a male-dominated field, for me, it was really important to see men actively create space for me to take up. So I specifically remember one of my mentors recommended me for a summer camp, and it was his the most teaching I will I would have ever done in a week. I think it was something like twelve talks in a week. Oh, okay. I mean, it was a, I was the speaker for a summer camp, and so I said, "What if we did that together?" It's my first time doing it. Can we like tag team? And it was funny because at the time he said, "Yeah, sure, we'll do it. We'll do it together." And then last minute he said, "So I can't do it anymore. That means you, you've got to do it on your own." Okay. And I freaked out a little bit, but I knew what he was doing. He said, I know you can do this. Mm -hmm. And if you're not going to jump, I might have to push you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was the creation of that space, though, Todd. Like, uh -huh. how do you proactively, not accidentally, 
How do you proactively create spaces for the women on your team to shine, to say, hey, you know what? This part of the meeting, you lead it. I I know I I could lead it because I have been leading it, but what if you lead it? Or what if you lead for this entire time that I'm on vacation or whatever it might be to proactively think of opportunities to where you then take a step back and let that woman just have fun and experience joy Mm. in their giftedness. I guess another thing is just to ask how they're doing from time to time. I think it's always, it's not needed always, but whenever any of my coworkers or friends who are men ask, Hey, how you doing? Really? Has this week been a heavy lift? Even if it's not toward anything specific, just to know that, Oh my gosh, someone sees me this week. (laughs) That's really wonderful. It's Mm. awesome. And there have been times where I've been able to share with a, a room full of men who are my brothers in Christ who I've been serving with for the past couple of years here at Mars Hill, where I'm able to talk about a really awful comment I got on social media. Mm. Just be like, you know what? Today just really stank because I got this comment and for them to be like, Ashley, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And then we move on with the meeting. But yeah. for that to matter to them and yeah, for yeah. them not to see that as an annoyance or as a right. distraction or to minimize, like I think to understand that this means something for the women on your teams to be showing up. And even if it doesn't seem to impact them, it's obvious that they are operating and stepping out into their gifts in a different way than you are. Yeah. Mm. So this it's about presence again. I think I'd call us back to presence and creating space to intentionally invite the women on our teams to shine and to lead and to learn from them. So maybe it's an opportunity to say, are there times where periodically we have different skill sets that we bring to the table? Mm -hmm. We share that. Recently with our pastors, we said for our pastors and directors meetings, it's not just going to be the lead team that leads through devotionals all the time, but what if we expand the team and and say to our kids, pastor, hey, you lead kids and families all the time. Could we see that with our staff and how you would lead us with your gifts? That's been so fun. And Mm -hmm. we've done coloring projects. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a nice relief. Yeah, it is. It's really beautiful. And so, oh my gosh, I didn't know I needed to color this morning at (laughs) 9.15. But I feel great. Thank you. So there's just so many surprises, I think, that await us when we don't see it as a knock to our own worthiness Mm. to let someone else shine. Sure, right. Say this actually makes us better. I think so so often a lot of us gain our significance from the task we're doing and how well we do it. And for a tech person, was the mix good last week? Mm. Because that's as good as I am is whatever happened last week. And so that whole idea of it's not a knock on your own worthiness, that's a hard one to hear because that's this is where I get it from. So Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about at the end of the day, what did you do as a tech artist? It it is tempting to feel like it's all in what you produced that day. Yeah. But what if you reframed your sense of success? Say not just what did I do, but how did I feel and how did I see other people? How did I not just illuminate a spot on a stage, but how did I illuminate someone else's sense of belonging today? I mean, to build that into how we function on our teams. So this is a story that goes back a long time. So in the remember when we had DVDs when that was a thing and you could turn on the commentary on the DVD and listen to people talk about whatever you were watching and so we did a big Christmas production at Willow and the we were making the DVD available. I don't know exactly. So they yeah, they were asking they asked everybody who was involved, "Hey, can we have you watch the the thing and then comment on it and we'll put that on the DVD too." And it came, it was my turn to sit with some people and watch it together. And every time I thought of a story to tell or something was happening, I would start thinking, okay, well, that's not actually my story. That's Mm. lightings or audio or, and I just, I, at the end of it, I just realized like, I should just shut up because it was so hard to nail down, like, what part of this did I have anything to do with? Yeah. And because I know I was busy, I was involved, and my just in that moment sort of realized that 
My job is to set up all these other people to do the thing they do really well. That's how I shine. Yes. But nobody sees. It's like you can't talk about it on a DVD. So I, I need to say this. And this doesn't mm. often happen. I feel like tech artists are like oxygen. Mm. You can't see oxygen. Yeah, yeah. And yet without oxygen, we die. Yeah, yeah. So I think to keep in mind that some of what we can't see is actually the most essential part. Mm -hmm. You can't see a human heart. Yeah. But when you impact one, that's undeniable and unforgettable. Yeah. So yes, part of what we can see in lighting and hearing audio, camera folks, if you are moving <laughs> around with cameras, like I big ups to you. Like some of this equipment is massive and you have to be incredibly <laughs> skilled. And some of the tiniest pieces of equipment, you have to be incredibly skilled. But that's not all there is. Because some of the most impactful parts, if you can remember how you felt at some of the most meaningful moments in your life, I, I can almost guarantee, I want to say, that some of the elements of that moment were made up of things you couldn't see. Yeah, yeah. And so how do we redefine that and tell stories about our own worthiness and belonging differently? Yeah. Based yeah, getting on that your kind of worthiness framework. from somewhere else. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, maybe to wrap that story up, uh, they cut my part from the DVD. <laughs> they didn't even put it on the DVD. Oh, he and has Todd, nothing to say. Yeah, yeah let, let's talk about your formation in that moment. <laughs> no, it's the fact that it's been 10 or 12 years and I still yeah, remember it. And it was still, right. it was like one of those, okay, my my thing is not something that yeah. really can be talked about. It's just yeah. paving yeah. the way for everybody else. Yeah, your oxygen. I, quick, funny part, when you talked about DVDs, one of my very first jobs, I worked at Blockbuster Video, and oh. my <laughs> I my claim to fame is that I was part of the team that transitioned VHS to DVD. Oh, whoa. So, I'd like to I'd like to tell everyone that that piece of you're, you're welcome and Redbox was our big competition. Yeah, I was cleaning out our basement during COVID and we have all these old VHS tapes that like we bought from Blockbuster. Yeah. Like <laughs> yes. they've been used up or whatever. Oh man, let's grab that. Yeah, we still have. Why do we still have this? I know. I all of our a ton of our DVDs at my house still have the little red tag on them. Yeah, you know, yep. like two for twenty or whatever. <laughs> right? So, yeah. yeah, we finally we actually emptied our whole house of all the DVDs and VHS tapes. Yes, yesterday. One Took them to day, the curb. Yeah. I will be able to get rid of my Fresh Prince of Bel Air box set, <laughs> yeah. but today is not. Today that is not that day. day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have. I know one of the VHS tapes I have is the original Star Wars, like the first oh, episode goodness. six. Before they added stuff to it, visual effects and all that right. stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah, I still got just that so one. we all know, <laughs> yeah, Todd's hanging right. on to that one. Yeah, Don't right. come after Todd's Star Wars. Right. It's probably all melted together, all that tape and it's stuff. Fine. Yeah, it's, still it's fine. It's still worth something. Nice. All right. It's been so good to hang out with you. And I appreciate you just being willing to talk about all the topics. And yeah, I'm excited to have you in May and for the file community to, yeah hear more from you. Todd, this has been so much fun, almost too much fun. <laughs> and likewise, I can't wait for May and to be with you all in person. And it's, I think we're, and I'm already expecting for what's going to happen. So thanks for having yeah. me. One, two, three, four. There was a bunch in our conversation that I really loved, but I think the thing that really struck me the most was the idea of more collaboration, less deference. Oh my goodness. I just, when she said it, I, I just couldn't believe it. I've definitely landed on the side of deference in most every situation as a production person. And like Ashley said, it comes from a very honest place. You know, we're trying to support the people with what they need. And I wonder how many times someone wanted to be collaborative and I short-circuited things by just saying yes to their first request. And I think being collaborative doesn't have to be obnoxious or pushy. I mean, it could just start with a simple question or two to try to clarify what somebody's really wanting to do. Um, questions that might lead to supporting the person well, exactly how they've asked, or in other situations, we might stumble upon a better way. And I think feeling like we're in it together instead of a strictly transactional 
feels way better to me. And I think probably the way God intended it to be. While I don't think deference is bad, I think, yeah, we can get into trouble by creating a culture of just deferring to people all the time. We're the ones who have been placed in a position in production because we understand what it can do, what it can't do. And really, our leaders are looking for us to bring that to the table every day. And I think sometimes deference can get in the way of, yeah, a better way of doing things. So anyway, just I so appreciated that part of our conversation. Speaking of a better way, we've just overhauled our website. I mean, and it is way better. You should go check it out, phyla.org. You can click on join the community and that'll keep you in touch with everything we have going on here at Philo. You can even go to our coaching page, phyla.org slash coaching. And we've got another cohort starting March 8th and I'll be leading that one. I know we're in the run-up to Easter and it can be kind of stressful and a lonely time, but what better way to combat both those things than by being with other people in a similar situation, a small group of like-minded technical artists in the local church who are all in the run-up to Easter. And I think the Easter season, I mean, it has the potential to be life-changing for you and not in the normal, I love Jesus, but I hate Easter kind of way. So you should join the cohort and start a new narrative on how to live a sustainable life as a technical artist in the local church. I think you'll be glad you did. All right, you can follow us on social media at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. And yeah, again, consider clicking join the community on our website, philo.org, or you can subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date on all things Philo. Also, don't forget, Podcast 10 is the code to get the discount on those tickets to the Philo Conference. All right, until next time, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.